A while back, a Sunday school teacher had taught her class to recite the Apostles' Creed, and she did so by giving each one of the children a phrase of that creed to learn. When the day came for the class to give their recitation, they began beautifully. First little boy said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The second said, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, and so on. It went perfectly until they came to the child who said, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And at that point, an embarrassed silence fell. The next line was supposed to be, I believe in the Holy Spirit, but there was only silence. Finally, a little girl spoke up and said, uh, the little boy who believes in the Holy Spirit is absent today. <laughs> we as a church celebrate, and rightly so, the birth of Christ at Christmas. We are enamored with and amazed by the fact of the incarnation, and it is a huge holiday, a huge spiritual time of remembrance of thanking God for Christ's coming. We here in this sanctuary and sanctuaries across the world celebrate and remember the cross of Christ, his crucifixion on Good Friday, another very high and holy day of the church, and again for right reason. And then Easter Sunday, the apex of it all, when Jesus was raised from the dead, we come together and celebrate and just remember with rejoicing that our Savior who died has been raised again. But I think we so seldom really celebrate Pentecost this day on the church calendar for what it's really all about, what it really is. Pentecost, as recorded in the book of Acts we just read, was after the birthday of the church. So say happy birthday to each other. We are all part of the church that began on that Pentecost nearly 2,000 years ago. And we come together on this Pentecost to celebrate and remember what it was really all about. What happened on that day links directly to you and I sitting in a church sanctuary like this today in the year 2013. Do you realize that? Jesus' work on earth was done, but the church's work was just to begin. The initial disciples didn't really understand that. They thought Jesus had died, he'd been raised again, and now he was going to establish the kingdom back to Israel. They were going to be the cabinet in the kingdom of Jesus ruling in Israel, that Israel would become an independent sovereign nation, the glory days, the golden era of Israel was coming back. And so they asked him the question in Acts chapter 1, are you now, like, finally going to reestablish Israel? We've been waiting all these centuries. We know you're here. You're the king of kings. We know who you are. And Jesus answers very tritely, that's not for you to know. That's not what I want you thinking about, what God is going to do by his own set authority. He says, what I want you thinking about is hang around here in Jerusalem, where they killed me, and they're after you. Hang around here and wait. Just wait. Waiting's not easy, is it? You like waiting in lines? You like seeing lines of long lines of people lining up for a ticket counter or a grocery counter or Costco, wherever you go? We don't like to wait, do we? We want things right away. But he says to them, wait here for the promise of my Father. Because in not many days, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where you are now, in Judea, the, the region that they were in, and in Samaria, the other regions besides it, and to the ends of the earth. So he redirects their attention from him being the king and them getting to ride on his coattails to glory in a position and power and wealth. And he says, no, that's not going to happen now. 
I'm going to empower you, and you're going to advance my kingdom. And oh, by the way, what they didn't know then, within just a few short days, bam, he disappears. He just goes back to heaven. They're like, what, what, wait a minute, wait, we, we got the part of we're going to go all the world, but what do you mean, you're leaving? And they're left dumbfounded, jaws dropped, staring up into the sky. Where, where did you go? He ascends back into heaven. And so they went to an upper room. They were afraid. They didn't know what to expect. All they knew was two things. Jesus said, wait, and something good was coming. But those early believers, with little training relative to the amount that most of us have, Little education, no seminaries, no libraries filled with Christian books, no tapes or DVDs of instruction. They, in fact, did turn the world upside down, or, in fact, as we understand it, right side up. Their own enemies, in Acts chapter 17, just 20 years after the Pentecost that we're talking about here today, just two decades, 20 years later, in Acts 17, their enemies said, these are those people that are going everywhere and have turned the world upside down. So what Jesus promised them, that the power that they would receive at Pentecost would work. It would give them the ability to communicate with power and effect and import the message of the gospel. And by the third, fourth, or beginning of the fourth century, not only had the gospel turned the world upside down through that initial band of believers, but by that point, it had become the official religion of the Roman Empire, for better, for worse. But the fact is, God's promise, Jesus said, that power you're going to receive will give you the ability to change the world. But let's look at them. Were they special? There were 120, the Bible says, in that upper room on that, that day. Were there something special? Well, we can see more about the 12 in particular, because they were there as well, of course. The 11 disciples, Judas had had hanged himself by that point, had added Matthias to them, so we're 12 apostles, but if we look at them in the Gospels, were they something special? Were they different? Well, actually, more often than not, they didn't get it. They lacked understanding and were very slow learners. Jesus, on one occasion, said, if not more, are you still so dull? How can you not get this? You've been with me all this time. Don't you understand what's going on? So they weren't the quickest ones. They had little faith and lots of doubts. They fought with each other over minute details and over who was going to sit next to Jesus in his throne in glory. They fought over everything. They didn't get along so well with each other. They lacked loyalty. When Jesus needed them most, Peter, James, and John asked them, come on, I, I need to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane, can you guys at least just stay awake and be by my side and help me here? They couldn't even do that. They fell asleep. Judas, one of the original 12, betrayed him. Peter denied him. All of them ran off and deserted him. So I hope that helps you be really encouraged about God's ability to use frail human beings. The original disciples were just like you and me. Weak, sometimes weary, and sometimes worn out. That's you today. I've got really good news for you. Because the Pentecost that happened on that day, the power of that Pentecost, that same Holy Spirit is present here now to fill us, to strengthen us, to fill the voids in who we are and our inabilities and to make us capable of carrying on the great commission that Jesus gave to those disciples. As we look a little closer to our text today, we're going to see how, in fact, they were transformed by that experience with God. 
I think often we think we're incapable of doing anything about the problems in the world today. We see the complexity of it. We're bombarded by it night and day on the news and one day after another from natural disasters to violence to wars to just terrible occurrences. We think we're losing and we feel like we can't do anything about it. And we have tried and tried and tried and we prayed and prayed and we think, how will we ever do it? Well, friends, I think very often because we've clothed ourselves with our own abilities, we've clothed ourselves with our strength, our wisdom, our knowledge, our understanding, and not plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit is the reason we've not been able to succeed. Many years back, when I was about 25 or so, my father and I hit then at the time about 50 or so, uh, we're down in Arizona, we were going to play golf. Neither one of us very good golfers. But we ch chose to play in this championship-level golf course, a really nice one, and we thought, we're going we're to try this golf course out. So to fit the role there, I went out and bought new golf pants, golf shirt, even had a cooler dad, a nice Jack Nicklaus insignia on my golf jacket, a hat, a glove. I looked the part, and my dad did too. We walked up to the first tee on this great course, and on the tee had just teed off two couples, uh, older couples, probably in their 80s or so, and their carts were, their riding carts were sitting about where the piano is. And they saw us two young men, you know, looking great, coming up to the team. They said, oh, you guys play through. Go ahead, you guys tee off. And we're like, no, 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 no. You don't want us doing that. <laughs> they, didn't, they wouldn't listen. They said, you guys look like great golfers. So we conceded and said, okay. So my dad gets up first, and he steps up to the tee and takes a mighty whack and rolls the ball about 10 feet ahead. <laughs> okay. So now I had to save the day, right? So I get up there, and I swing just a little extra hard and swung, and swung as hard as I could and the ball went straight sideways, and where they were in their carts, ricocheted off the windshield of one of their carts and off the green on the other side. They really wanted us in front of them then. They didn't want us killing them from behind. But that's like us. We try our best and try so hard when God says, I'll empower you. Trust me. Ask me. Let me do it through you. That's what those disciples experienced on that first Pentecost. They were hiding in fear. They were afraid for their lives. They didn't want to be in Jerusalem. Jesus said, stay here. They weren't from Jerusalem. They weren't from the big city. They were from Galilee. Their families, their businesses, everything that they were concerned about was there. But Jesus said, hang around here where the heat's on. You stay here. Because I want you to be dependent on me, and I want you to learn how to wait for me. And when I move, you move. When I stop, you stop. Be in step with God. Be in step with the Holy Spirit. John Lloyd Ogilvy captures it this way. He said, He, Jesus, wanted his disciples to be people who could wait for God, who would allow God to work through them, not people who would work for God on their own schedule and priorities. I think many of us are deeply afraid of really yielding that kind of control, yielding that kind of influence to the Holy Spirit. To God who dwells within us. He's come to be our constant companion. He lives within us. But I think we're a little afraid of where he might lead us or send us. But the real challenge before us today is the world around us is in decay and disarray. We are the light of the world. We are the hope that they have. We are the ones called and commissioned by Jesus to carry a message of hope and help and healing. There is no one else. God is not going to suddenly say, well, this church of people, the two billion or so, really aren't getting it done, so let's start another one. No, we're it. 
But the good news of Pentecost is we have everything we really need if we'll just simply draw upon it. The great news of Pentecost is that you don't need to be a spiritual superstar for Jesus to use you, for God to use you. Everyone in that upper room received the same power of the Holy Spirit. Look at the text. They all were filled, baptized with that power of the Holy Spirit. Women, men, children, older people. Everybody was eligible by Christ's sacrifice. He cleansed them all, made them ready temples for the Spirit, and then he came to indwell them. Everyone was given a divine enablement, a gift to use. All of them spoke supernaturally in languages they'd never studied or learned. These were human languages. As we heard our, our sister and brother pray in the languages of the Lord's Prayer today, those may have been two of the languages. I, we don't know. Why did God give them that gift? We don't know, but we know that God had drawn and chosen that specific day, that Pentecost, which was not a Christian holiday or celebration initially. It became one that day. But for centuries past, from Mount Sinai forward, when the law was given, God had said, 50 days after Passover, I want you to celebrate the harvest, the first fruits. And so it was a mandatory day for all Jewish males from wherever they were in the world to make the pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem was filled with potentially a million foreigners from all over the world. So God took this little band of believers whom he'd said, you're going to change the world for me. You're going to carry this message first to Jerusalem. And Jesus is thinking that day. He knew that was going to happen. He sends them out. This mighty rushing wind happens, fires on their heads. He gets their attention. There's a big commotion. He shakes the whole room where they're in and the people outside could hear it. God drew the crowd, by the way. They didn't have to do it. And they were just spilled out into the streets, just praising God in human languages they'd never learned. And everybody went, whoa, what's going on here? But everybody was enabled to do something significant to carry the word. Why? Because it was God speaking directly through them. God's words, their mouths. Some of them were shy. Some of them were introverted. Some of them didn't like public speaking. Some of them didn't feel comfortable expressing themselves, and yet when the power of the Holy Spirit came over them that way, they just simply went with him. And the effects were tremendous. On that day, 3,000 people, after Peter shared a sermon in Aramaic, he wasn't speaking in a foreign language, he was speaking in the known language at that time, 3,000 people gave their hearts to Christ. They were converted that day by the simple message. But the power of the Holy Spirit opened that door. This is a gift that God gives to every believer who trusts in Christ. If someone has told you have to work up or work hard or strive or do a hundred steps to receive the Holy Spirit, they have misinformed you. There's only one, opening your life to Christ in the first place and inviting him in. You don't have to have great gifts or talents. God will supply all of that. You don't have to have lots of experience. Those initial preachers had zero, including Peter, by the way. I don't know if he prepared anything for that day. He might have been wondering, when am I going to preach my first sermon? Because you know, he had to be thinking about it. But I don't think he prepared much. I think the Holy Spirit just came upon him and gave him exactly the right words to say that day. We don't have to have advanced degrees in theology or divinity, though those are a blessing to have. You just have to have a willing heart. You see, the Holy Spirit's work in us is the beginning of the thing he does for us he comes in and begins to transform us into the image of christ and that's an ongoing work it's happening inside of you when you're sleeping when you're awake 
God said, the work that I began in you, I will bring to completion. He's at work in you, and we trust him for that. He's also with us. Jesus said, I will be with you to comfort you, to console you, to counsel you, and to be your companion. But he also says, I will be upon you to empower you to touch and reach those outside of you. Threefold work in us, with us, and upon us to help others. Again, John Lloyd Ogilvie helps us understand the kind of power the Holy Spirit imparts in his book, The Drumbeat of Love. He gives us four types of power. And I want to share those with you now. The first of those is intellectual power. That they would have wisdom and knowledge infused in them, just given to them. Not something they learned, though there was great learning and they studied the scriptures and were called to do that. But God would augment that and at the moment of need, he would give them knowledge. They would have spiritual power. They would have great faith and do impossible things as miracles of the Spirit. They would also have emotional power. They would be able to love, have a deep love for one another and the people in the world around them. They would also have physical power. They would be given strength and endurance beyond their human potential and capacity. So friends, I'm not here to tell you what you don't have. I'm here to encourage and remind you what you do have today as a follower of Christ. We don't have to try. We simply need to trust. You have the Spirit if you're in Christ. The real question for us today is, does he have you? The late Bill Bright used to tell this story. During the Depression, a field known as Yates Pool was a ranch, sheep ranch owned by a man named Yates. Mr. Yates wasn't able to make enough on his ranching operation to pay his mortgage. So he was in danger of losing his ranch. He had no income, so he actually had to go on government subsidy. He went on welfare. Day after day, he grazed his sheep over those rolling west hills in Texas, and he was struggling financially. But then one day, a seismic crew from an oil company came and said, hey, do you mind if we drill a well on your land to see what's here? At 1,100 so or so feet deep, they struck a huge oil reserve. That first well came in at 80,000 barrels a day. 30 years later, one of those wells was still producing 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And Mr. Yates owned it all. The day he purchased the land, he received the oil and the mineral rights. Yet he'd been living like a pauper, a multimillionaire living in absolute poverty. The problem is he didn't know the oil was there though he owned it. I think sometimes we feel spiritually poor. We feel spiritually inept, feel unable to live out the life Christ has called us or to have the impact and effect God wants us to have. And yet we have within us an unlimited, more than hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil to energize us. We have the resource of the Holy Spirit. And friends, there are no power outages in heaven. We get them all the time around here. You probably just had one in the last uh, few weeks here, sad to say. Um, but there's no power outage. The generators in heaven never go off. So I want to just use a simple analogy here. When you go to plug in a vacuum at your house or a blender or another electrical appliance, do you think about where it's coming from? Do you think about the power lines that go to a transformer, that go to some kind of generating station, and go to some nuclear power generator or some other gen... No, you simply, I have a need here, I'm going to plug this thing in, and you plug your phone in or whatever else, and there's power there most of the time. <clears throat> Friends, we don't have to understand everything about the Spirit or the grace of God. We simply need to, in faith and childlike trust, plug into Him and say, God, I need your help. 
I need what, the right words to say. God empowers and uses people, first of all, that are sure that they're not perfect, that they're not the source of everything. It's not about them. Perfection is not a prerequisite to power. But purity and pliability are. What kinds of things were those disciples released from on that first Pentecost? Well, their fear turned to fortitude. Their failures, which were many, were converted into fruitfulness. Their follow-ups were replaced by follow-through. Their feebleness was transformed to forceful effectiveness. And their cowardice was replaced by courageous confidence. And friends, that work in us and through us continues to this day. It is God's express will in the scripture to change the world today through the likes of you and me. Pentecost wasn't about giving a bunch of believers spiritual jollies. Oh, they experienced a great thing. It was fun. They were rejoicing because God was on the scene. And when God's on the scene, things are, things are wonderful. But there was a purpose. God intended to change the world for good, to communicate a message. He poured out fire, confidence, and boldness. My friends, what was that transforming message that those disciples carried? Was it a complex labyrinth of theological treatises that Peter stood up and communicated? No. He communicated a simple message. In Acts chapter 2, verse 21, Peter's message was this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can you read that aloud together with me? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You are now qualified to share your faith. You might have taken classes on evangelism. You might have taken read books on it. You may struggle with it. You may try to find, what, how can I reach my children? How can I reach my parents, my aunt, my uncle, my nieces, my nephews? Not a week goes by that here as a pastor at this church, I hear distraught parents or grandparents saying, my children or my grandchildren have gone away from God. They're not following the way. That's a reality. And we struggle with how do we reach them? What should we say? What, what can we say? Well, friends, the simple message is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's not complicate it. Peter, at the end of his sermon, says, turn to God. Receive forgiveness for your sins. Be baptized, and you too will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. What are we signaling to the world around us as the church today? What are we saying by how we live? What are we saying in our conversations? What are we communicating? Are we getting the message across? On Pentecost, God enabled that first church to speak languages they didn't know. There is a culture gap. There is a communication gap between evangelical Christianity and the world around us, and it's widening ever further, even as we sit here, because communication has increased across this world. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit like never before. We've got the technology, but do we know how to connect and communicate? We need to be praying for God to grant us the means and the words to say to reach our children, to reach our families, to reach our communities, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. I suspect if you're like me, you walk into your place of employment, not at the church here, but years ago when I worked in, in a corporate world, and, and my heart broke for people. My heart broke for them because there was help for them. There was hope for them. But because of theological barriers or cultural barriers or other barriers, they weren't willing to hear. But friends, we have the opportunity in our generation 
turn it around. God has not given up on you. He's not given up on your marriage, where communication often breaks down. He's not given up on your family, your town. Friends, he's not given up on this country. We are the light of the world. We have a message that can transform it. The message, however, of Jesus sometimes is such good news that we think, that's too easy. It just can't be that simple. And people, how, wait, there's got to be something more for me to do than just receive Christ and have my sins forgiven and, and he'll help me change my life and I'll be different and better. It seems too easy. Reminds me of a story I'll share and we'll move to a close here. But when I was about seven years old, one day my younger brother Paul, was about five at the time, came running home all excited. He said, I'd gone to, I'll call her Mrs. Smith's house, a few doors down from us where we lived in Mount Prospect, and, and said, he came back and he had all this candy in his pockets. He said, I, I just went down there and she invited me in and let me go through bowls of candy and put all the candy I wanted in my pockets. I said, no way. No adult gives kids candy like that. I mean, what's going on? The poor woman was recently widowed and she was lonely and just wanted the companionship of a little five-year-old. So I said, I don't really believe that happened, but I'm going to try it out. So next day I went over there, knocked on the door, and Mrs. Smith invited me in, and in her house were bowls of candy all over the place. She said, take what you want. And I did, took as much as I could get in my pockets, and, and went home. And my brother and I decided two things from that experience. It seemed too good to be true, but it was true. Every time we went over there after that, we wore cargo pants. Those went to about eight pockets of them <laughs> and stuffed them. And we made a pact. We weren't going to tell any of our friends about it because we didn't want the deal to run out. Friends, the good news of salvation in Christ that we carry with us is that good news. God's never going to run out. His grace is always sufficient. There's adequate salvation for every person you know. They just need to know the secret. The secret is Jesus loves them, died for them, was raised for them. And our mission, friends, is to properly introduce people to this Jesus. I believe if Jesus is properly introduced to someone and a person's introduced to him, the real Jesus, not the one that's so convoluted by culture and convoluted by other religions and convoluted in so many ways, but the real Jesus, if people are properly given an opportunity to be introduced to them, their hearts are going to be gripped, their lives will be changed, and they'll be motivated to give their hearts to him. <coughs> Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we will be effective communicators for him. He didn't say try to be witnesses. He said that we will. Friends, we are the sleeping giants. We are the ones empowered with might and ability and a simple message that can transform a world that's going awry. It's time for us sleeping giants to awaken. It's time for us to arise and take our place in this generation. This is our time. This is our chance. That first generation of Christians, they lived out that, ra that race God put before them, and thank God they did and didn't give up when they met opposition, ridicule, scorn, or even martyrdom. They didn't give up, nor did every successive generation fail. Somehow the Christian witnesses continued so that we can gather comfortably in a beautiful sanctuary like this. This is our time. Let's not give up on God's heart for this world. Let's not be deceived into thinking evil is winning. The gospel is powerful. Jesus saves today, transforms lives today, heals marriages today.
it's not too late to turn it around in our country, in our world. It's not too late to turn up the flame. It's never too late to give God the room to work mightily in our midst. We must stand together with one voice, humbly but boldly proclaim, everyone who calls upon the Lord Jesus will be saved. Friends, we know people who need to know that simple message. Even as I'm speaking here today, you're thinking of them. And I want to encourage you as a simple response before I pray. If there's someone in your family or close to you that you're deeply concerned about, I want you to write their name privately on your worship folder as a reminderance. And we're going to do two things. Pray for them, and then pray that the Holy Spirit will give us the right way to communicate. Give us the right way to bridge those gaps that we seem not able to do so often. The right time, the right place, the right words, the right person, but that the barriers will be removed. We're also going to pray that God will fill us here today to the brim with his Holy Spirit. No spiritual gymnastics are required. Just a humble request. Jesus said it. The Holy Spirit will be given to anyone who asks for him. You need that power. You need that refreshing. You need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to pray that humble prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so very much that the message, the simple message of truth, reached every one of our hearts at one point, if we're in Christ now. Somehow, it reached us. God, we pray for those that we're burdened, concerned about, that don't yet know, that are living apart from you. God, we pray that you'll so fill us with your Holy Spirit, with your power, with the ability to communicate clearly and plainly to them, that we will be the effective witnesses you said we'd be in our households, our families, our communities, our workplaces, and yes, across this great land. Fill us this day. Move upon us and use us as instruments in your mighty hands. In Jesus' name, amen.